All right, welcome back, friends, for another episode of the Interlight Project. We're so glad that you have chosen to join us. Maybe you're on car ride to or from work. Uh, maybe you're just taking a break out of the, your busy day. You could be listening to us um, while you exercise, wherever you are right now. We're glad that you've uh, chosen our content, and we hope that it'll be a blessing to you. And also, a little bit of fun as well. Uh, we all need a distraction from the craziness of our world. And what better way to do that than to talk about the things that we love, uh, which, of course, for me, uh, theology and sci-fi nerdy stuff. So several months ago, we embarked on a podcast for Interstellar and felt like years yeah i felt like we got caught in the time warp slippage (laughs) we got too close to gargantua yeah i went back and looked when i uploaded when did we record that september golly it's now february it was back in september yeah so real world issues crept in such as work schedules sickness um, virtual teaching christmas and new year's oh yeah yeah getting teeth pulled you lost some Um, wisdom there (laughs) All kinds of stuff happened in between there, and you can't take yeah. too much loss. So <laughs> we're back, back finally, uh, keeping our word here to complete what we started. And we, of course, in the last episode, talked about um, all the awesome things that we loved about Interstellar, the themes, the music, uh, the sci-fi content, science of it. Yeah, what mm-hmm. the directing. I mean, everything we could think of. Uh, since then, uh, we have all been blessed to be able to watch Tenet, uh, which was an awesome Christopher Nolan movie, oh, yeah. and uh, hopefully we can dedicate some time to that in the future. But in this episode, we wanted to pivot and talk about the theological connections that we found in Interstellar, uh, because we always like to not view our media just in a vacuum. Uh, we all come to it with a worldview, and... Of course, every form of entertainment has a worldview behind it, and it's it's good that we are able to parse through that, understand what are the morals and lessons being taught through the media that we enjoy. Now, as we do this, uh, we should know that Christopher Nolan films are not really known for their spiritual themes, or um, maybe even they don't really have a moral lesson per se. Um, a lot of his movies are very deep and very cerebral, and they're just more about the the escape and the the epic nature of the film. So spirituality or God are really not topics that he explores a lot in his content, not really part of the story that he tells. But Interstellar is such an ambitious and huge movie that it, it's impossible to miss those themes and how they get brought into the story. Um because it's so spectacular and so huge. So with a movie of this scope, um, dealing with as many complex themes as it does, uh, we can certainly make some theological connections and point out ways, not only that there are similarities, but of course there are some differences there uh, with the Christian worldview. So one of the first uh, topics that I wanted to touch on, guys, is dystopian future. So obviously, Interstellar is set in a dystopian future. Um, Doug, you remember what that is, don't you? 
<laughs> What's going on in Interstellar as the movie opens up? As the movie opens up, Earth is dying. Right. Um, it's ravaged by what they call blight, mm-hmm. and it's killing all the crops. They can't grow enough food to support the population, and they keep the governments keep trying to say they're diverting money to agriculture, mm-hmm. and they've quit exploration. They quit looking up at the stars. You know, they mm-hmm. they're just wondering about their place in the dirt instead of their place in the heavens. Yeah, so there's a blight that's infected the crops and there's not enough <clears throat> crops to feed the people. Basically, we're, we're starving to death. Starving there's to been death climate slowly. change. Yeah. Um, I, Earth is becoming a dust ball. And if that, yeah, the dust will... I can't remember it because it's, it's been a... <laughs> well, it's been since September, I guess, since I've seen it. But do they actually say what year... This is supposed to take place. It's in? approximately fifty years from now. Fifty years, I believe. Mm-hmm. They, but you're right. They don't give a, a definite year. But if you go to places like IMDb or other articles that explain the movie, it does go into more detail as to when. But I want to say it's roughly fifty years from now. Okay. And I think that was purposely done by Christopher Nolan the way, he, the way it was filmed, like in the old farmhouse. Twenty sixty-seven. Yeah, right okay. here in the notes, boys. Whoa, about, calm down. That's, 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 I mean, that's 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 about right. I there mean, you go. Yeah. That's four years after First Contact. Oh, that's a different, <laughs> that's a different franchise. Sorry. So dystopian future, right? It's a common theme in so much future sci-fi, right? So we Hunger could Games? we could we could all go around the circle yes. and name a sci-fi franchise that is a dystopian future, right? You just mentioned one, Preston. H- Hunger Games. Hunger Games. What about you, Terminator? Would that be one? Of course. Yeah, yeah or post-apocalyptic. Yeah. yeah. Mad, Mad Max. Max. Battlefield Earth. Yeah. Battlefield Earth. <laughs> <laughs> what about Waterworld? Oh. Yeah. Now, my understanding of dystopian... <laughs> it's a joke, people. Always, no. uh, my, my understanding joke. of dystopian versus post-apocalyptic is dystopian, which is why I brought up Hunger Games, is is a future like 1984. Right. Where it's a... Equilibrium. It's a, Matrix. Oh, equilibrium is an ideal example. Robocop? Um, <laughs> well, well, well dysto- it depends on because it has to do with kind of a, a big government control yeah, right. over. Big brother. Uh, yeah. And maybe kind of a semi post apocalyptic element too. But anyway. You could you could probably lump like World War Z, Walking Dead. That's more post apocalyptic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So well, we might be splitting hairs here, but these are important distinctions. Oh yeah. Dystopian, you know, we we're doing it to ourselves. Yeah. We're destroying So like this is this yeah. is a really good distinction. Wally here because, was a good movie for dystopian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good for animated. So like when you're making these distinctions, like I wouldn't put Star Wars no. in the realm of sci fi. I would put it in the realm of fantasy. Yeah. Just listen to how it starts out in a galaxy far, far, far away. away. That's like right. once upon a time, right? Yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't put it in the realm of sci-fi. It does have elements of that, mm-hmm. but it's fantasy. Yeah. Right? Well, and this this is, and I, I preface by saying this is absolutely not to discredit anything, but Star Wars is not meant to rely on scientifically plausible elements, but that that's because it's about the storytelling mm-hmm. because, and that's what makes a great fantasy. And that's what makes star Wars great is the, the, the fantasy, the storytelling, not relying on the scientific elements, which is what other franchises like lean the princess so. bride. That was a yeah. Movie. But again, that's not to say that one is better than the other. It's, 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 it's more so it functions well because of that. Yeah. Well, see, that's why, that's why star Wars is in that sci-fi fantasy section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And star Trek is in yeah. the, the sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Well, 
we talked about this in the last podcast we did on Interstellar, how heavily they leaned on everything trying to be proven as a scientific fact or scientific realm of possibility mm-hmm. we could achieve. So, Yeah, so we don't mean to go down rabbit trail, but that was fun anyway. <laughs> but dystopian future, so it's a, what we it's a trope in all science fiction. It's fun to go down that road and... Science fiction writers love to speculate about how the world will end and what our future m- might look like, whether that's the Book of Eli or Waterworld or Mad Max or whatever you're looking at. But So here's the theological tie-in. So the Bible predicts that there is a dystopian future, and it's all spelled out in the Book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19, outlining a seven-year period known as the Tribulation. Uh, period uh, that's coming on the earth in which God will bring judgment to the inhabitants of the earth. There'll be a series of plagues. 21 separate judgments, actually. Uh, Seven seal, seven trumpet, and seven bowl judgments. You definitely don't want to be around here for that. But, uh, of course, the tribulation, if you understand your end times and your prophecy correctly, it's a setup for the return of Christ when Jesus promises to come back to the earth, punish evil, do away with his enemies, and set up um, his kingdom of prosperity and peace for a thousand years, and then after that you've got a restored earth. But in sci-fi, as you explore it and you watch the movies and read the comics and so on, earth is always destroyed by human negligence, right? It's World War III, or it's aliens, Independence Day, (laughs) (laughs) or it's natural disaster, um, like Deep Impact or something like that, or um, a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> but, uh, but as you read the Bible and you begin to understand it, um, actually the one who's going to put an end to life on earth is God himself. He's the one that's actually going to bring judgment and wrath upon humanity. Um, but the hope of that is that those in Christ will be able to see a new earth and Christ is going to redeem all this loss and he's going to reverse the curse of sin and even death and all the decay of sin will be removed from the earth. So that dystopian future, that's um, that's an interesting thing that sci-fi always plays with. But if you really want the true story, go to the Bible and read the prophetic books. Read Daniel, read Revelation, read Isaiah and Zechariah. That'll give you the big picture of where we're all going. And if you do follow Bible prophecy, I think it's very obvious to see where the positioning of things are right now. We're, we're definitely getting close to that end-time scenario. And I know people say, well, look, hey, you, you preachers have been talking about the return of Christ for 2,000 years, and yes, that's true, but we've never had a convergence of signs like we have had now at this point in history where all these things are coming together. So the way to, to escape the dystopian future is to, of course, uh, know Christ and love his gospel and be saved, and he promises that he can deliver us from the wrath that is to come. So there's dystopian future. Um, another great question that this wonderful movie Interstellar tries to um, tries to answer is the question of are we alone? That's a huge one in science fiction. Are we the only ones in the universe, or is there life out there somewhere? I think it was Carl Sagan um, who inspired Contact. Another great science fiction movie. If you haven't seen Contact, that's an old one. You can track it down. Jodie Foster, Jody Foster so Matthew in, McConaughey. In the book, 
the what Doug you sold me on this the uh, the science of interstellar book Kip Thorne mentions Sagan. Yeah, the, I yeah, think as, he may have advised on that a yeah. little bit or been yeah, well, involved in it somehow. Well, Sagan died a long time ago, but he 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 was friends with Kip Thorne. There you and go. I, and I do know a lot of a lot of Sagan quote unquote it is a big influence on Kip Thorne's approach to astrophysics. So mm-hmm. any, anyway, so that uh, Carl Sagan, um, he had a saying that, and I think he actually this finds its way into contact, but he 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 said something to the effect of the universe is a pretty big place, and if it's just us, it seems like an awful waste of space. I think Matthew McConaughey says that. He might actually say that in contact. So so the way that sci-fi always tries to answer that question is aliens. Um, And we could all go through the list of movies that that try and do that. Most recently was Arrival. Did you guys see Arrival? Yes. Arrival was awesome. Great way of kind of answering that classic are we alone question contact obviously another good one mcconaughey was in that one interesting yeah was he driving a lincoln navigator (laughs) (laughs) all right all right all right and and towards the end of contact i remember it's been forever since i've seen it but he talks about faith towards the end of it he Mm -hmm. he, so he is the the voice of faith Exactly. Uh-huh. In yeah. contact, whereas Jodie Foster, she's the voice of science and reason. He's the voice yeah. of faith in the White House, I believe, at the end yes. of contact. Yeah. So though, all of those movies like contact, they always try and pit science and reason, or reason and faith, excuse me, against each other like they're two incompatible things. But actually, they go together, go together. Very, very well. And you have to have both to have a complete worldview. Um, but anyway, in Interstellar, the way that they answer the question, are we alone, is by posing the the group known as they unquote, they, they. <clears throat> or the bulk beings who we later discover towards the end of the movie are super intelligent versions of ourselves humanity set in the future and somehow we've obtained the ability to transcend to the next dimension and we're trying to save ourselves. Right. So, in which I thought they were aliens. Yeah, that's what I thought it, first so. too, but then they clear that up in the movie and they say yeah. no, it's it's us. Yeah. Or Matthew McConaughey kind of clears it up or or maybe it's Tars <laughs> in the wormhole clears it up. One of them yeah, anyway. It's well, kind of a joint clears effort. It up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, Matthew McConaughey clears it up when he's in the Tesseract talking to Tars. Mhm. So, uh, Nolan's universe um that search for the quote-unquote higher power is really kind of ourselves. That's his answer to that. So the hope of of salvation in the future is that they have to place faith in a group of people or a, a being set that they can't see and they don't know, right? Right. So even in this super scientific, super reasoning world of interstellar, there is an element of faith because they have to trust the wormhole. They have to trust Cooper has to trust the beings who created the Tesseract. Right. And all, so there is an element of faith in that that's required. I mean, there's a little bit of faith. You take the fly into a wormhole. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So uh, of course you can see the obvious tie in there with Christianity that just like they place faith in the bulk beings in the movie, Christianity says you place your faith in the God who is beyond space and time. He isn't limited to a box or our feelings or our senses. So in that way, you can kind of see a parallel there of 
answering that question, are we alone? Of course, Christianity answers that by saying uh, we have been visited. We've been visited by God in the flesh when Jesus Christ came to the earth. Um, so we have Emmanuel, God with us, which we hear a lot about at Christmas time. So there's that. You guys got anything you want to throw in on the are we alone question or are we alone issue? Well, I don't want to hog the mic. Oh, no, you're that's oh, Doug, what were you going to say? Something funny. Just I always <laughs> go ahead, Doug. <laughs> Let's hear it. I always think of the dude on the History Channel, ancient aliens guy with the oh, hair. Oh gosh, <laughs> it's aliens, man. <laughs> They're here. The the guy with the hair that everybody wants. Yes. Yeah. That. I one. mean, a cross between Doc Brown and Lewis Tully. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, I think of aliens. I think of that guy. Like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I was just going to say, this is actually kind of backpedaling a little bit um, to where Derek, you were talking about. You, true. There's. It doesn't. Interstellar doesn't openly or actively bring up the topic of faith. Um, it's. But I, I feel that when I watch it it does leave some of those doors open, even mm -hmm. though no, no, you don't really hear anyone or you don't see any kind of direct signal to it, but it's like leaving that door open to like what we're able to do right here, have a faith-based discussion on something that is hugely immersed in science. And, and actually Nolan, I just remembered this when, when he was working with Hans Zimmer on the soundtrack, that was actually part of the reason they wanted an organ. Yeah, was, I remember that in yes. the special features. And there's uh, he he wanted the organ for many, well Hans Zimmer wanted the organ for many reasons in the soundtrack. He wanted an acoustic organ for reasons, and they wanted it to be a church organ so that they could bring maybe kind of in a subtle way bring in the faith element mm -hmm. to the movie. That way, it it kind of kind of seasons right. the movie a little bit with that faith element again to uh to leave that door open so that people like us can can talk about it. Well like that movie on the planet with the water and the waves and the waves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so with the vastness of space it's it's an obvious Radio question man, are right. we alone and then yeah. Preston I wish you had that music sound. just opens that up. <laughs> Wave sound. Oh yeah, I need to program that in here. <laughs> All right, so are we alone? Dystopian future. Another thing that really is hit upon in the movie is the idea of salvation by science. So the savior, quote unquote, in Interstellar is what I would say is the triumph of the human spirit and science. So it's the intrepid spirit embodied by Cooper and Bran. It's the, the hard work of the number crunching done by Murph that saves humanity. So there is no... I believe in science. <laughs> <laughs> believe only in science. You have not been baptized. I told you, I believe in science. <laughs> not you, Libre. <laughs> it's another must watch. So the salvation element in Interstellar is we kind of save ourselves, which is kind of a paradox and maybe even self-refuting. But so Murph, or not Murph, Cooper goes into the Tesseract, he gets the quantum data, which he then sends back to his daughter, Murph, right, right codes that into the watch, and codes then she the watch. uses that to put into the formula mm -hmm. so that they can... Right, get, Overtake gravity. Yes. So the way that they say them, it's basically self-salvation in a way. Yes. 
So there is no savior that comes, no deus ex machina, no God out of the machine, nothing like that. Yeah. But what, what was cool about that part of the movie that you're talking about is it's they're, they're using mathematical binary language, Morse code, all of those things. But when you hear Cooper talking about it before all of that happens, he talks about love, how, yeah. And we're going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, just throwing that. No, that's good. That's good. So I actually was kind of thinking about this the other day, how interstellar is kind of almost like poses a new Genesis for humanity. It's, I mean, you could, you could make the argument that humanity gets to start over again on a different planet, mm-hmm. and Cooper and Brand are the Adam and Eve, and the embryos that they that she carries from the spaceship are like the new humanity. So she's you know it, it closes and she's sitting on that planet to start over again. The DNA right? bombs. Huh? So it's kind of like a yeah. view of a of a secular view of. A new, a new beginning or a new genesis, a new start. Um, so now that stands in complete opposition to the Christian worldview and sharp contrast where salvation in the Christian worldview comes from God who is outside of time and space, who came in the person of Jesus Christ, died on the cross for the sins of humanity, and then rose from the dead. So... Um, that's a departure point that we would look at and say, well, that's kind of like the secular view, and then that's completely opposed to the Christian view. You could make the argue that Cooper kind of is like a sacrificial type character in the movie. He willingly goes into the unknown. He goes into the black hole. He solves the equation. He transmits the data, comes out on the other side. So there's kind of an element there of death, rebirth, you could you could say Moses coming down with the Ten Commandments. Uh, all right, so, uh, but in the Christian worldview, right, humanity can't save itself. We're utterly incapable of doing that. We have, we're fallen. We're sinners. We're in need of a savior. We need redemption, and so therefore, the salvation must come from outside our our own realm. So, you can see there that would be the departure point. But it's interesting to make those distinctions so that you can you can see how your worldview is different. You can look at things openly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anybody got anything on that? Just, um, I mean, I feel like what you just said kind of hits all those points there, but yeah, it's, it's like a, it's like watching the, them go to the new planet. They have another chance at life. They're able to, um, kind of re, resettle, reinvent themselves, it's almost like you're looking at a metaphor of, yeah. of what our future And is. what's interesting now is what's going on in our world with SpaceX. Because mm-hmm. if you've been watching the news and keeping up with Elon Musk and SpaceX, one of the things they're talking about now is a mission to Mars. Is that the Space yeah. Force? No. <laughs> no, that's no, different. That was, that <laughs> different. That's saying. different. <laughs> That's different. That's a, that's a government. That's a government regulated agency that's gonna yes. police Mars. Okay. Okay. But no, seriously, they are, the 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 talk of having a colony and a base on Mars yeah. is a real dream. It's a real thing. Buzz Aldrin is actually spearheading that. And so, um, Elon Musk, if you look at his statements about that, he said, you know, basically we need to look at this as life insurance policy for humanity in case. We get hit by an asteroid or something, or a plague or whatever takes out 
humanity, we need to have an, a backup plan. We don't right? need to have our eggs so, in one basket. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what he says. And so you can kind of see how that's an interesting segue to interstellar, the idea that we have we can't put all of our hope here on the earth, um, which is exactly what Christianity says. You don't put your hope here on the earth because everything is susceptible to death and decay and mm-hmm. all the problems here. Put your hope in God. Um, of course, that leads to the next one, um, good and evil, which, interestingly, if you watch Interstellar, there is no objective good and evil. Um, Except for maybe the school. The what? The, the school. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the moon landing was faked and all. Yeah. So in a traditional science fiction, good and evil, the lines of good and evil are pretty clear, usually. Um, so you didn't think Matt Damon was Well, we're going to get there. Okay. <laughs> so they make a point in the movie the that the two great enemies of the flick are time and the harshness of space. Do you remember that scene? Um, especially Michael Caine. He's all the time quoting that poem. I believe it's Dylan Do Thomas. Don't go gentle. Don't go gentle. That. Rage, yeah. rage against the dying of the light. It's yeah. kind of like a defiant protest against time. Mm-hmm. And the inevitability that time overtakes us all. I um, mean, he even states at one point in the movie that he's not afraid of death. He says, I'm afraid of time. Yeah. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So um, that being said, the movie kind of focuses on that sort of being the natural evil. Whereas as they get closer to Gargantua, they feel the ravages of time and slippage that it causes and how it fractures those relationships and all that. Which is right up Christopher Nolan's wheelhouse when you talk about time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But there is a discussion, if you'll remember, that Bran and Cooper have at one point. Um, And they do mention, is there such a thing as evil, kind of in one of their uh, discussions on, on board. And there's a key line in there. And I can't remember if Matthew McConaughey says it or if Anne Hathaway says it. I think Matthew McConaughey says it. But he says, they talk about evil, and he says, the only evil is what we take with us. Do y'all remember that? Yeah. Okay, Preston is shaking his head. He says yes. So that brings in Dr. Man, Doug, (laughs) right? Yes, he took that evil with him there. Yeah. So that's what's so interesting when they get to the planet where Matt Damon is in high... In um, Cryonic Sleep or like the Ice Planet. Yeah. Yeah. Not not Hoth, but <laughs> <laughs> I was literally about to say that. <laughs> 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 um when they get there and they bring Matt Damon back to life, it's interesting that on this planet where they have a total population of at that point, four people, right? You got the three who were on the mission and you've got Matt Damon's yeah. character. Yeah. That with those four people, there's deception, narcissism, and Matt Damon tries to kill everybody. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't S- travel with Matt Damon. Tell him. <laughs> <laughs> We're always going on these missions trying him to rescue Tom Matt Hanks. Damon. Don't go anywhere with him. <laughs> but it's Matt Damon who becomes the, the antagonist or the foil, and he's really the one who becomes a picture of what humanity really is left to their own devices. And he... Exactly, and because he, he doesn't see himself as evil, right? He thinks he can return and save and save the people on Earth. So the thing is, that's an interesting 
connection point with Christianity is Christianity will say that humanity's great problem isn't um, environmental, it's not economic, it's not uh, poverty or whatever label you might want to put on it. The great problem with humanity is our own hearts. We're broken, we're sinful, we're fallen. We're capable of great good, great great courage, great sacrifice, but at the same time we're also capable of great evil. We're the race that has produced Hitler and Mother Teresa, right? So you, you see that difference in the characters. Matt Damon, who is so absorbed with his mission that he thinks he's doing right, even if it means killing, killing everybody, everybody else, right, mm-hmm. to, yeah. To, yeah. to get the mission accomplished. But it's interesting that even though they go to a brand new world where there hasn't been a single human being, the evil that comes out in that world is the evil that they take with them, which is inherent in the human condition. And Matt yeah. Damon is the, the picture of that. You see what you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't until, because this whole, it's funny, like just you saying that, Derek, changes my whole perception of that scene because this whole time I my perception of that part of the movie was Matt Damon's character, uh, Dr. Mann, had been through... Uh, extreme conditions, uh, was out on his own all that time, uh, and then just put into cryo sleep without w- waking himself up. And my perception was, well, gosh, this guy has just been messed up so bad psychologically that this mm-hmm. whole situation just drove him crazy, and that's why he's doing what he's doing. Um, but And then it didn't even dawn on me to make that connection with what Cooper said about bringing evil with you. Mm-hmm. And here's the yeah. crazy thing about that, to, to back that up. So early on when Cooper first discovers the NASA place where, um, you the know. secret base. The secret base, yeah. yeah. And they have all the pictures all along the wall of yeah. the people who were part of the Lazarus mission, the people who went to the wormhole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they talk in there in that scene about Dr. Mann. And they explain that, oh, well, he's the best of us. Mm-hmm. He's the yeah. most intelligent, the most. So he was like the the top tier of humanity, the number one guy that we could send on that mission. And yet when they get there and they discover that his heart is totally twisted and mm-hmm. he's more machine now than man twisted. Well, in uh-huh. you, you, well, you think about that now. Nicely put. You think about that now, Dr. Man, when he was there, he'd already dismantled his TARS. Yeah. And he had it set up as a booby trap yep. for anybody that messed with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he was already, I mean, ain't no telling how many years that had been since he put himself, because it looked like his TARS was pretty bad, been deteriorated. So that had been set up long before. So here's another crazy connection. And you guys can, Get it. You guys can shoot me down if you think <laughs> this is just totally insane. But we're in Nolan verse here, okay? So what other character from the Nolan verse? parallels Dr. Man, who is the best of us and yet is corrupted and becomes evil. You know who it is? Hmm. Harvey Dent. <gasps> oh, oh, hit that button. Goodness. Hit that button. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey Dent, right? Yeah. Two-Face. Two-Face. From yeah. Dark Knight. Uh, in fact, the Joker or somebody makes the reference in the movie, that he's the best of us. No, that's yeah. uh, actually Batman says that. So Batman Harvey says that. You're the best of us. He yeah. was wanting he to went, take up the mantle yeah. of Batman. And so that's why the yeah. Joker targeted him. 
to to show that I could even take the best and corrupt yeah. him and turn him toward evil. When it was, and that side. was an example of a character that went through something horrible. Yeah, and but it took that event to to bring that sort of thing out, to mm-hmm. bring out that evil and to change that person. So let me ask you this. Well, Matt, did Matt Damon, did he have other people with him when he went to that planet? No. No, he was all yeah, entirely yeah. Oh, okay, by well, himself. Okay, well, then that completely makes sense. I didn't all know, he had was his robot. I didn't know yeah, if he had it. other people with him and he wound up killing him because he went crazy. You know, each already. each of those missions was one. Oh, it was a one-way, right. one-person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One-way ticket, and really. interesting how that's they right. use the number 12. Twelve okay. of them. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lazarus, yeah, yeah. Obviously. Lazarus mission. I mean, there's yeah. a there's a biblical element there. The apostles. Tw- twelve. Yeah, twelve, twelve disciples. disciples. Yeah. They, these are their disciples. They are sending, sending out. out. I, mean, I don't know if Nolan meant to make that connection, but that's really yeah. Good. I wouldn't be yeah, surprised, like but yeah. So well, he, he talked about when they called it Lazarus. He's like, oh, that's a, that's a bleak. He's like, well. Lazarus rose from the dead. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. and that's the whole point is they're trying to bring humanity back from the brink of death. And then, of course, when they discover Doctor Man, they literally do bring him out of cryo sleep. So it's like a picture of coming yeah. out of death. But they find out that he's not their savior. <laughs> you should have known something was wrong with him when he so, destroyed the only thing he could talk to. And here's another crazy association I was thinking about between Harvey Dent and Doctor Man. So they're both the best of us, quote-unquote, who become corrupted and turn toward evil, but they both have their own twisted sense of morality. Mm-hmm. They both, in their minds, think that what they are doing is right, even if it means taking life. So for Harvey Dent, his morality is what? The coin flip. Yeah. That's what determines Right and wrong. Anton Chigurh, same thing. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. No country for old men. Yep, flip it's the a, coin. It's a coin flip. It's What does he say? It's totally fair you're, and random. And, and you're, you're, when, he says, when he has you flip the coin, he has you call it, and like the guy that asks, well, what are we calling for? And he yeah. says, everything. Everything. You know, Great then, scene. Yeah. Absolutely. We got to do uh, No Country oh, for Old Oh, we Man will. Day. That's just... I'm going to have to man. watch it. I haven't seen it in forever. Maybe so it's been a while since I've seen it. But yeah. Anton Chigurh, right? Harvey Dent. Yeah. Kind of the same mm-hmm. sense of morality. Sugar. Where they, <laughs> <laughs> where they use uh, the coin flip, right? Yep. Um, and they let chance, so-called, decide. Well, Dr. Mann, he's, he's so sold out on the mission of science and the next step that the ends justify the means, so to speak, for him, mm-hmm. which shows you that in both of these moral systems that they have, they're just they don't they don't work, right? Because people end up getting hurt that way, right? Correct. Either way. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, I was gonna say because he almost winds up killing uh, Matthew McConaughey, and then also he kills himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Even after they told him, don't do it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he he was so bound and determined, and he had convinced himself that yep. he was doing the right thing, just ignoring the possible consequences. So I thought that was a really brilliant thing that Nolan put in there. That there wasn't a mustache twirling henchman villain out there that was you know wanting to take over the world or anything like that that you would normally see in a science fiction. I mean, really, the evil is within us. Yeah, which totally fits in with Christian theology. That yes, we are the problem. We brought it with us. <laughs> Um, last thing that we want to touch on as we close um, this second episode is the idea of love. And I know that Preston touched on this a little bit. 
But in the movie, love is the other force along with gravity that transcends time, right? So Cooper identifies that in the test track. So he equates love as the fifth dimension. Yes. So and something that connects. Yeah, yes. So Anne Hathaway has this great line in the movie. She says, Love isn't something we invented. It's observable, powerful. It has to mean something. Love is the only thing we're capable of perceiving that transcends the dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that, even if we can't understand it. Yeah. Great line. And kind of one of the whole uh, heart of the movie right there. That's the whole emotional core of the movie. And Christopher Nolan's characters always get criticized by people for saying that they're emotionally detached. But I disagree. I think that that was a great line. And a, and the connection between father and daughter, between Cooper and Murph, and the love that they have for each other is what the whole movie is built around, right? Well, when she was giving that speech about love, she was actually trying to entice him to go to a different planet instead of man's planet. Because she she had a love interest in... Right. The fellow yeah. on the other planet. Yes. Edmunds. Yeah. Edmunds. Which she does go to that planet later on in yes. the movie. And it turns out to be a better place than the one they went yeah. to. Yeah. But the love between the father and the daughter, Murph and Cooper, is the connecting point that's the connective tissue of the whole movie because the whole reason that she goes back to get the watch is because that's an artifact left over from the relationship, the love that she had with her dad. He, he gave it to gave her. It to remember, left, when yeah. I come back, we'll be the same age. Yeah. And he transmits the the quantum data into the watch, and which the she second needs to open the, the formula. So that's the whole bit there with the love transcending time. And, and it was it's like Morse code, wasn't it? Sort of. Yeah, like, yeah. It was right. binary, wasn't binary? it? Wasn't it binary? Yeah, well, I think I think the he sent it in Morse code, and I want to say the equation was in binary form. I well, could be completely wrong, but that's how I remember. He tried it. to do Morse when he knocked the books out, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. Uh, and he, you're okay. He you're went right, back to binary. Yeah, that's right. So what's cool about that is that. Well, you know, we touched a little bit earlier on on salvation by science, but really, if you want to go deeper, I would say that the source of salvation in the movie is love. It's the love between the father and the daughter. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. If you are in a universe that's purely materialistic, purely physical, where there is no God, you have no explanation for love. Because if we're just all products of time, and matter and chance, and we're just a random blip caused by evolution, survival of the fittest is the name of the game, then love doesn't matter. Love, where does it come from? You can't really explain it. So as Dr. Brand kind of points out in the movie, there has to be more than just social utility involved with, with love. Well, that's how the movie ends, too. Cooper flying to meet up with Brand because right. he realizes he does love her. Yeah. So you can look at all of those things that humanity is capable of, compassion, self-sacrifice, grief, all right, all these things that are accompanied with because we love people and we love others. And that is one way that I think that the movie really resonates with the Christian message is that um, love does transcend time. 
because we know the Bible says that God is love. God is the source of love. He's the reason why we love and can be loved is because we're created in his image. And God has always lived in a community of love. The Father loves the Son and then the Holy Spirit in that community of the Trinity where there is eternal love and eternal fellowship. And, of course, the cross is the greatest message of love that God demonstrated his love for us by giving his Son. And so that message transcends time. That's why the gospel is always going to be relevant no matter what age or what geography or wherever you are in the world, whatever time in the world you are, uh, because we all have that need and that desire to love and be loved and to know that we're cosmically valuable by a creator and that he's poured out his love for us. I think to me that is really a, a huge thing that the movie hits upon. Mm-hmm. May have not been intentional by Christopher Nolan, may have, but to me, I see that's where a great intersecting point is. They hit with, the mark with Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. When at least, at least from the standpoint of just love in general, uh, t- from one person to another, I think at least that part I think might have been intentional for Nolan because going back to the soundtrack when he was collaborating with Hans Zimmer, when he was first wanting him to sketch the main theme, he didn't tell Zimmer anything other than. I just want you to sketch a musical theme about a father's relationship with his son, and that. Was oh it. yeah, that's right. I remember yeah, you yeah. saying yeah, that. that. And 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 that's all Hans Zimmer knew. And Nolan did that for two reasons. Number one, he knows that Hans Zimmer has a son himself, and that would help with his inspiration to write the music. And then two, he wanted to kind of, kind of set Zimmer on kind of an alternate track because. It was after Hans Zimmer wrote that sketch that Nolan told him, well, this is actually about a father's relationship with his daughter, mm-hmm. and this is about space travel, and here's all the stuff. And then Hans Zimmer's response was, well, I, I mean, I, I wrote this theme about a father and son, but now I, I need to do all this because this is what you're wanting in the movie. And then Nolan said, no, this is perfect because now, I, now we have the heart of the movie in mm-hmm. the music. Yeah, exactly. So you think the the movie is essentially a love story with the backdrop of science? Yes and no. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the love element is a is the emotional core of the movie. If you don't have the love element, um, you lose the punch. Like the emo- the the whole reason for what Cooper is doing is for love. Is for love. Yeah. yeah. He that's, loves that's his family. He loves his kids. Like the antagonist and protagonist. Love's on one side. Science is on the other. Is love going yeah. against right. science? Well, so you could look at Dr. Mann and say, well, he doesn't have any love in his life, right? He has no family. He has no attachments. All the only thing that he loves, the only, only thing he loves is himself and the mission. He has nothing to fight for. Exactly. Oh, yeah, because that was one of the guidelines for all of those astronauts to be put out there. Yeah. No, no family no ties. No attachments. Yeah. yeah. Which Bran can't do because she gets attached to the Edmonds. other Edmonds. on the planet. And, yeah. and then her, I think part of it too, her relationship with her father up to you know that certain that point, point in the movie. Yeah. 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 And you think about that too, man was talking to Cooper about his relationship to his children. Is he going to see 
his children in the last few seconds mm-hmm. of his life when he right. goes to kill him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, no, that's a great point, Doug. And I would say that um, love is what characterizes everything that Cooper does in the movie. He's doing that's, it for the love that's of his what, children. Yeah, that's what he's motivated. That's why he's driven to, to do all this because he's trying to create that better future. He's trying to, to save his children along with, of course, the rest of humanity. Like the original, you think about the original Lazarus missions, think about that way. They went out without having something to fight for. The rest of them, and Cooper, he goes out with everything mm-hmm. to lose, everything yeah. to fight for. Yeah. And they throw that back and forth in the movie where, um, uh, like Dr. Uh, Brand, she was trying to, she was having a discussion with Cooper at one point in the movie how his relationship with his kids could be clouding his judgment. Yeah. And yeah. and then there are some other discussions that are kind of the other way with that. Well, you don't have any ties, so this could be clouding your judgment kind of right. thing. Um, but I, I re- that conversation is what uh, So the interesting thing here is the, the initial thought is that if I don't have a- attachments, it will make me stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if I have attachments, it will make me weaker. Yeah. Right? Right. It's but it's actually the opposite, yeah. right? Yes. You, you have to have the love because love is what motivates you to do the heroic thing, to make the sacrifice, to do what, to push a little bit further. Yeah. It actually makes you stronger, not weaker. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Or, and I mean, it, it, this may sound silly, but it, I, it makes me think of the saying, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, when you think of doing something that you love, whether it's for someone or something else greater than yourself or whatever, that, Right there, I know for me personally, can always be a huge motivating factor to want to to succeed at that and and do my best at that sort of thing mm-hmm. and be successful. And of course, the parallels to Christianity are are so evident that it's love that motivates Christ to leave heaven and to come and give His life for people that will hate Him and spit on Him and treat Him like dirt. Yeah. And it's it's love that calls him to do that. And when when you share pure love. And and when you share that the salvation story with with someone who who doesn't know Christ, it for I think for many of us who at least have that concept in our mind, it it's almost like it could go without saying where we you talk about why Jesus went to the cross, for many of us it could go without saying, "Oh gosh, well he that was such a selfless thing to do." The only explanation could be that he loves us. Mm-hmm. He loved us enough to do that sort of thing, mm-hmm. uh, to to go to the cross, to endure all of that stuff. Um, it, and I mean, yeah, that's part of how we we explain it to others who who may not know whether we're explaining it to to children coming up in Sunday school. You know, we talk about why he that that he loves us and why he did all of that. John three sixteen. Yeah, exactly. For God so loved the world. So, to me, you can see the differences from Christian worldview in the themes of the movie, but also I, I can see great parallels in it as well. So, we spent two episodes doing a deep dive into Interstellar, and <laughs> I don't know if we explored it all, but it was a lot of fun. We had fun. Oh, amen. I hope oh, yeah. that we didn't bore you guys to death out there. If you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, Derek, you say you could, you could do a third episode? 
That's how that's how that's how deep you could dive. <laughs> we could always draw something Anything out of there. No, well, I'm 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 already predicting that when when we get to ten, it it'll it'll probably be two as well. <laughs> that's that's my that's going to be my coin toss right there. So this we um, still got to do that Donnie Darko one. Uh, Doug's definitely. Oh, we will get there. Too. We've got a long list, folks. We're we, gonna we, do Man of Steel. Man of Steel. Yeah. We got Matrix. Maybe maybe we could got, do a poll on our social media. Hey, that oh, is if we have oh. more than five fans. Hey, yeah. we'll, our, we'll, our, we'll our two listeners. Yeah. We'll get them, <laughs> other than our wives. <laughs> so we've had a lot of fun, and we hope that you have as well. We're going to be back. Hopefully, it won't be six months, but we will be back with more episodes, and content. So don't go too far. We'll keep you updated. We pray that uh, you're blessed, that you're healthy, and that uh, if you don't know Christ, that you do find how full of love and mercy and grace He is and how He can transform your worldview and your life. So thanks for listening. We'll be back sometime soon with another episode of The Inner Life Project.